0: Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor, your host. I'm the founder of Flow State, which is a global transformation agency that helps leaders and organizations exist in states of flow. We run retreats, flow quests, where we take people out into nature and we explore our consciousness. We go into altered states. We learn breathing, meditation, and all sorts of techniques to really explore uh, an expanded sense of what it is to be human and to learn how we can transform ourselves for the greater good of ourselves, our families, the businesses that we work in, our ecosystems that we're a part of. We also coach people. Um, I coach a handful of uh, leaders myself and we run flow culture projects. This is uh, all about organizational development and transformation. Um, this is all part of a vision that I have that uh, not only individuals, but uh, teams, organizations, companies can also exist in states of flow. We've all seen this with sports teams, orchestras, jazz bands. And my belief is that when more and more organizations begin to exist in states of flow, that's when we're really going to see an acceleration of uh, purpose and impact coming out of some of the uh, some of the most uh, technologi- technologically driven businesses um, because when you combine Uh, purpose with technology with group flow then really you're just you're talking about like exponential layers on top of exponential layers of potential impact so that's part of the work that we're doing. I want to direct your attention to the website because a lot has changed lately if you haven't gone on to flowstate.co recently then please uh, check it out that's flowstate.co and just a little reminder about what this podcast is really all about because it has evolved over the last 79 episodes this this one that you're about to drop into is episode 80 Um, the podcast is really an exploration of the convergence of uh, individual consciousness uh, with business and with technology and it really it seeks to redefine success and fulfillment and how we live our best lives by exploring the inner path to our best lives possible. And that's why I seek to bring on neuroscientists, psychologists, entrepreneurs, people who are dancing at the edge of consciousness and technology to come onto the show so they can explore their research, they can share what they've been finding, they can share their personal practices, and we can all become a little bit more aware and and wise when it comes to navigating the inner dimensions of human potential. And that brings us nicely to uh, this episode, uh, episode number 80. I've been looking forward to interviewing Mikey Segal for a long time. Um, If you are someone who's interested in technology and consciousness and uh, apps, uh, devices that blend things like uh, meditation, biofeedback, heart rate variability, breathing, uh, and provide technology uh, interfaces for us to understand, for example, or for us to perceive uh, for example, what the, if, our, if our brain waves were sort of uh, put through a filter which created like a, an audio output, what might that look like? Or if we could monitor our heart rate variability and put an overlay on that to see whether we're in a state of flow or we're not in a state of flow. If you're interested in that sort of domain, if you're interested in how technology can enhance human well-being and flourishing, then you're going to absolutely love this interview. Uh, Mikey Segal, he's, uh he teaches at Stanford. He is also the founder of the Consciousness Hacking Movement. He's the co-founder of the Transformative Technology Conference. He's founded a consciousness technology design studio. This guy is all over it. He is doing some amazing work. He comes from a very interesting perspective. Um, he helped me reframe some things in this dialogue that we had. It's a If you love philosophy and rabbit holes that uh, explore things like the role of artificial intelligence in the future of humanity, um, whether or not technology is going to help us thrive, or it's going to doom us all to uh, some dystopian Terminator type of hell, then listen in to a man who knows more than most about this field. You're really going to enjoy this podcast. Uh, that's all for now. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here with Mikey Sigel. Welcome
1: to the show, Mikey thank you so much. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be here.
0: Awesome, man. So if you could be kind enough to introduce yourself um, and your work, your passions, your areas of, of interest, that'd be wonderful.
1: Yeah, happily. Um, so uh, my, my whole world sort of uh, centers around the intersection of um, technology and engineering and consciousness and well-being um, which I guess really has been two of, um, the main interests in my life. Um, from when I was a little kid, I was, um, building stuff and taking stuff apart and figuring out how stuff worked. And, um, at the same time I was reading about, um, the mind and consciousness and, and psychic phenomena and, and out of body experiences and meditation and and anything I could get my hands on. Um, and these, um, lifelong interests have, um, have, have merged for me. And, um, and I guess I I would say that, that, um, from an engineering perspective, the thing I'm most excited about working on is developing new tools, new approaches, new techniques that can, um, be really skillful at supporting, um, connection to ourselves, connection to each other, uh, well-being flourishing, uh, love, compassion, all the good stuff. Um, and, um, and then in that, in that, um, in that pursuit, I've ended up doing a lot of community organizing as well. So, um, created something called the Consciousness Hacking Community, which has around, um, 30 chapters worldwide and it's, um, geeks and nerds and meditation teachers and startup entrepreneurs and, all that, all that kind of good stuff, all coming together around this interest, and I um, co-founded the Transformative Technology Conference, which is now run by um, Jeffrey Martin and Nicole Bradford, who also co-founded it, and um, also developed technology, which is a big passion of mine, um, and then um, and a lot of other stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> are you currently an academic, or are you? Oh yeah.
1: I forgot. Uh, and I also, uh, <laughs> I knew there was more. Um, I also teach at uh, Stanford. Um, and so um, right now I'm, I'm teaching one class, but there's, there's three classes that I've developed there. Um, uh, I developed a class called uh, Technology and Meditation, a class called Wired for Wellness, um, Technology and, and uh, Human Flourishing, And, um, in the class that I uh, most recently have been teaching, which has been really cool, is called uh, designing for wellbeing, which is really coming at it from a design perspective on how do we, um, uh, how do we think about and create new tools and technologies that, that really do actually, um, uh, um, make us feel better and, and help us to be more harmonious and, and connected in our lives.
0: Man, I can't wait to geek out with you for the next forty-five minutes. This is going to be fun. Okay, cool. So you got a lot, a lot of stuff going on, uh, Mikey, and I know that. Um, first of all, I just like want to honor you for the for the work that you're doing. Is it's it's awesome. I think that this intersection that you're that you're playing at is is profound and and so what is needed right now in the world. Um, and it's great to see that someone that, that, that you're bringing together this from a from an engineering and a scientific perspective as well um have you ever had any problems integrating the mechanistic mind with the with the spiritual mind has it ever been a a difficult thing for you
1: it's interesting um sometimes um you know in a more private conversation which this isn't at all so i'm kind of contradict myself right now (laughs) i'll i'll say that um it, it, it feels like my mission is really um, showing that what we think of as technology or science and then what we think of as as consciousness or, or spirit or spirituality, that they're not actually fundamentally separate from each other. And there's no reason why the two can't actually be in harmony and mutually supportive. Um, and so what I've been working to overcome is the cultural idea how these things are separate. And, um, and so, um, and so, yeah, that's a lot of what I'm doing is, 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 um, pointing to that perception of the separateness and, and it makes sense. Uh, I'll kind of riff on it for a second. Mm. Um, we, we make this distinction between natural and unnatural, Mm. right? We have this idea that, um, you have, uh, um, technology on one side which is kind of this unnatural thing and mm. then and then natural stuff over here on the other side um but the interesting thing is we, we totally uh, will imagine that birds nests and termite mounds and um, beaver dams are all natural but when humans build human nests and buildings and all of this stuff we think of it as unnatural mm. and for good reason um because we can feel a kind of a dissonance, mm. you know, it feels different, mm-hmm. right? And my, my kind of unscientific way of thinking about this is, is that a lot of what we create as human beings is out of harmony with mm-hmm. life's natural rhythms. And we can feel that disharmony. And so what we call unnatural are the um, products of humanity that are out of harmony with life um and so what i'm interested in is how can we begin to create as human beings increasingly in harmony with that natural flow mm-hmm. of of life and um and i think that the um the technology that we might create in the future which i don't think for the most part exists right now um could actually be nourishing in a way that we that we never imagined and in in the same way that if you'd only ever seen fast food or processed food it would be really hard to imagine that food could be nourishing Mm. and in the same way i think we've only ever seen the fast food equivalent of technology
0: awesome thank you for riffing on that Um, yeah I've, i've often. Stroked my chin and pondered the, the, the border of natural and unnatural. Um, and your description of, or your question of how we can increase harmony with the natural flow of life is, is very resonant with, 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 with my way of, of seeing things. Um, but isn't that sentence itself, the natural flow of life, mm-hmm. doesn't that lean upon a concept of source? Um, which itself is challenging for many of, of a mechanistic mind.
1: Yeah. So um, there um, I believe there ultimately does come a, um, I guess you could say a, a conflict of sorts with um, the kind of mindset that typically goes along with scientific thinking. Um, That mindset um, is really, really useful and is one of the most powerful tools that we have as human beings. And that's the ability to understand reality conceptually, to um, create a kind of internal symbolic representation which includes like saying, "Oh, that's a chair. That's a cactus." Naming things, find, you know, essentially mentally creating separation between things, mm-hmm. um, and that's really what enables science, mm. right? That's that's the ultimate enabler. Um, but um, but actually, um, all those separations just exist in our mind. They're sort of agreed upon separations. But, um, but they're arbitrary in a sense. I mean, they're based on patterns, repeating patterns, but, but we've, we've named them. And, um, and actually, um, we forgot that we, we created those names. We forgot that the, um, the map is not the terrain, mm. as you sometimes say, mm. um, meaning that we can create this kind of conceptual representation for what's out there, um, but, but that's just a tool. It's not the thing itself. Um, And then when we confuse the representation for the thing itself, then we we get lost. And oftentimes um, when people talk about being in a flow state or being in an awakened state or being in a non-dual state, um, the descriptions of what happens is people often enter into a more direct experience where they're not caught in those labels, They're not caught and limited by the sense of what they are and where they begin and where they end and where they can do and what they can't do and what's Mm -hmm. important and what's not important and what's good and what's bad and all of those labels we have, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, if science is seen as a, um, if the sort of scientific approach to reality is seen as a tool, then it's actually really um, complementary to what you might call the spiritual path or the path to getting into flow more often. if you look at something like Buddhism, for example, they thoroughly utilize a scientific mindset. Mm -hmm. I mean, they create incredibly complex structures and maps of the meditation experience and they iterate on meditation tools and find the best tools over time. And it's incredibly scientific, iterative engineering kind of process, but ultimately what they're leading to Mm. is, um, uh, a, what I would call more direct or authentic um, experience of reality. And, um, and I don't think that we can ever completely understand reality conceptually. Ultimately, I think the usefulness of our conceptual understanding is that it ultimately points us as individuals to um, a deeper, um, more fundamental uh, understanding of of reality, one that's actually very difficult to ultimately describe in words.
0: (laughs) It kind of breaks language, right? It's like, (laughs) yeah, words themselves um yeah contradict the whole notion of what we're talking about here um okay thank you thank you for explaining that so just to hammer deeper onto this um apparent or seeming conflict between mechanistic mind and spiritual mind which you're saying there does not need to be um can we talk a little bit about localized concepts of consciousness versus non-localized concepts of consciousness or brain as a receiver um, of some collective consciousness versus consciousness arising in the brain itself Um, it seems to me like this is the mexican standoff of (laughs) consciousness as in like if you can't agree on on that fundamental piece there whether it's Arising in the brain or not arising in the brain. Well, then you can't really go any further in the, in, the, in the dialogue. But maybe that's just a, a lack of awareness on my behalf. What? Where do you stand?
1: Yeah, the ni- here's the nice thing is um, that doesn't actually the, the the inability to resolve that or, or 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 the the friction in resolving that doesn't really block anything all that important. It blocks. Uh, um, a larger, sort of agreed upon scientific model of consciousness, which is useful. Don't get me wrong, it's super useful. Um, but I guess uh, um, I'm really happy to say, um, from, from my view, it's not an issue because um, I've come at this from the engineering side. And my goal is really just to um, find the most skillful, impactful, effective means humanly possible to support the deepest human experience that that the deepest desirable human experience that we can imagine. Um, and for that, I, I don't really care uh, about which model of consciousness is better or worse. Um, they're all just a means to an end for me. Um, and actually, um, those particular debates on consciousness, um, they don't actually get in the way because most of what matters in this pursuit is really just looking at correlations, right? Correlations between um, what happens in direct experience, like I feel this way, and then what happens in the brain or what happens in the body. Um, and that's usually just the, the materials that you, the information that you need to work with to develop new technologies.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, a specific example came to mind. I was on this retreat in Ohio, sitting with these two engineers who are tech founders and, and they've got brilliant minds. And we were riffing on, on this particular um, d- topic and the question came up, well, what is soul? And then the reply from one of these engineers was uh, probably just a bunch of neurons. Uh, <laughs> and and you know what? You're right. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter, the, the, the answer to that. Um, it doesn't stop their pursuit of um, peace and, and, and a sense of wholeness. Um, so, yeah, maybe we're just asking the wrong questions there.
1: In in the end, so, okay, so here here's my view. Um, we can never say what anything is, ever. if If a scientist says, oh, you're having that feeling, but it's just these neurons firing, what they really mean is we have observed a relationship mm. between this feeling mm. and neurons firing. Mm. And then what they're also saying is, Is that I have a bias around um, the, you know, causal relationship or really sort of the sovereignty of one kind of aspect of this relationship over another. You know, Um, but like it's endless, the chain of causal relationships, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, your neurons firing like like as I'm as I'm talking to you, the words come out of my mouth and they hit, you know, go through the computer, they're transferring all this digital stuff, and then it, you through the speakers in your computer into your ear, then your neurons firing, and then something happens inside your brain, and then you respond, and there's this whole chain. Well, where did that chain begin, you know? Um, mm. So um, anytime that someone thinks conceptually that they know what something is, um, then you know automatically that they're confused. Um, because life is infinitely mysterious. There's no, there's, we can't ever know at all. Um,
0: But what if it's double blind tested and peer reviewed?
1: Yeah. And then, and then, uh, you know, according to who's, uh, (laughs) and then give that, give that same paper to two different scientists and see if.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, I want to explore a concept, which, which, which I, I, I feel will open up into some story um, into your life. And it's this concept of synchronicity Um, now or meaningful coincidences. And obviously we've had brilliant minds from, from the likes of Carl Jung and and David Bohm, quantum physicists try and get their heads around this concept. And um, it's kind of like understood in the more, spiritual communities under this kind of like broad umbrella of like law of attraction interconnection, things like that. Um, now in, in your life experience, I know that you've gone through academia and I, and I know from reading your, your stuff that you've also explored, um, uh, you've traveled, um, you've, you've gone, to, you've, you've gone to interesting parts of the world where I imagine you've, um, learned interesting practices and things like that. Now, what's been your personal experience of this concept that I'm calling, synchronicity.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I also know some of the folks that really study this and, and, Mm. um, really try to put some rigor behind it. And, and I'm not, I'm not one of those folks. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just say that, um, what I've noticed is that, um, we can choose to have a certain kind of relationship or dance with the world around us. Um, one in which um, we we allow for a kind of um, a freer flow of, of meaning that seems to um, come from a place that's not our rational mind, mm-hmm. um, and from some perspectives, that that would be like like a a. a, a going like a, de- a degradation mm-hmm. in, in skillfulness and navigating the world. Right. And that would have been me like, like 10 years ago. Right. I'd be like, okay, so you just like, you just go like three notches down on the woo-woo scale, you know, and now you're going to like, you know, be talking to a, like a tree somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and from other, another perspective, which doesn't, um, uh, which doesn't, um, uh, like place, rash, the, the rational, um, relationship to reality is actually the highest kind of intelligence from that perspective, um, where it places, um, what you might call intuition or what you might call a deeper embodied intelligence or whatever, whatever name you want to put for it. Um, from that perspective, you've just gone up. Mm -hmm. You've just found a better way of navigating the world, a better compass. Um, and what you'll find, um, you know, and you you talk a lot about this, this um, flow state and people playing sports and this kind of thing. Um, I'm probably the least authoritative person on the planet to talk about uh, sports, <laughs> but I do I do play instruments and I do have quite a lot of experience in terms of flow state. And I'll tell you, the moment you start trying to analyze the situation and figure out the best thing to do, you're fucked. You're not in a flow state anymore. There's um, there's an intelligence, a knowing that seems to be um, more fundamental than that um, kind of uh, rational mm-hmm. perspective. And, um, and my view is, um, this is, you know, my personal perspective mm-hmm. is that um, the what you might call a kind of an evolutionary path for humanity is actually um, our identity resting increasingly with more and more fundamental forms of intelligence mm. and that kind of rational um, capacity is increasingly seen as a tool.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. Where have we, where have we gone then? Like, like let, let's, let's follow that strand because um, when, when I think about human beings, evolutionary history, I can imagine that in the not too distant past, our rational thinking capacity surely was just a, a bow in the in the quiver pulled out when we needed to make a decision on what valley to go into or what tool to make or whatever it might be, and that I can imagine just from my own experience of being in wild places and um, feeling in tune with nature that my knowing intelligence, my, kind of becomes the, the the default landscape of my consciousness. And and then the thinking becomes like some, the, the tool that I pull out. Now that's kind of like being flipped on its head. Um, from what I can sense about the world right now, especially with the sorts of people that I work with, there seems to be almost like a, a, a non knowingness that knowingness even exists. And there's this like, I guess I'm happy to call it an addiction. Um, maybe i don't know whether addiction's right but in 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 the in the realm of like not knowing that there's an alternative but there seems to be this like strong reliance on the thinking intelligence now when you philosophize about this what what's what's and, and if you agree with my my view that in the not too distant past we probably were thinking a lot less and we were knowing a lot more then what's happened for us to be in this status quo where we're thinking a lot more and knowing a lot less
1: um yeah it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um I don't you know at the moment I don't have a a, a theory on it that probably probably <laughs> depends on what what moment you ask me. Yeah. Um but what does come come to mind is um is that I I don't see it as a bad thing.
0: Mm. I
1: think that um we have really honed this incredible mm. capacity. As I mean, it's magical what we can do through the um, this ability to sort of conceptually uh, understand reality and use reasoning and, and a kind of a logical thinking process. I mean, I'm looking at my computer, and I, and I, I you know I studied computer engineering and robotics in, in school, and I have some notion of the complexity of, of this thing. I mean, it's just oh unfathomable the complexity of it and we we created that and at its root you know for example is this sort of transistor which takes a purely organic analog kind of signal a continuous thing and makes it into something that's binary an on and an off and really um that's um that's what we've we've sort of done um in this way, we've built empires with this capacity to take continuous nature and then um, break it up into these parts, this kind of on and off and and left and right and this and that. Um, And it's profound, the skyscrapers, the cities, all of this stuff. So now we have this crazy capacity, um, which you could think of as as kind of a power, right? It's like a, a crazy, crazy powerful tool. Um, now to what end do we use it Mm. because it's certainly powerful to kill every living thing on this planet that's that's there's no question about that and um and it's also certainly powerful enough to create a more um, harmonious you know enjoyable (laughs) nourishing existence for humanity Mm. and so my real question is um what what tips those scales and what 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 drives that compass one way or the other.
0: Beautiful. And this brings us right full circle to your work right now, um, because that's really what you're, what you're doing is being a part of tipping those scales. Um, So what, what is, what is some of the answers to, to that? Like what, how do you feel we are tipping the scales or we can tip the scales? Like what, what represents for you, the the leading edge of this conceptual rational mind when it comes to helping us as a species utilize this power in in the most eco-centric beautiful way
1: um i, I believe that uh, so there's a quote that i love from the from the United Nations. It's the first line of the UNESCO Constitution. Anyone that's ever heard me give a talk <laughs> has heard me get, say this quote. And it says, um, since wars begin in the minds of men, mm. it's in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be constructed. Mm. And it's straight from the, the top of, of global governance. Mm. First line of this constitution telling us that we need to change the world from the inside out, not just from the outside in. And, um, and I think we all know that in our own experience. I mean, I, I'm, I'm married and um, the, the difference in how my relationship goes from when I'm coming from a place of openness and vulnerability and love even when I'm upset versus when I'm coming from a place of fear, reactivity, um, and, and separateness, it's, it's dramatically different and the relationship goes dramatically different. Um, and my observation is that's true, not just in our, in our personal relationships, that that's true with every single thing that we do in the world from, um, art to creating science to doing a startup, um, to being an engineer and writing code. Um, imagine you have a team of uh, two teams of coders developing um, what could be the most advanced AI to ever exist, like a, a really well two really well-funded projects. One project um, is driven by um, a, a traditional profit model where um, there is a bunch of investors that are needing their 10X return. Um, you have a CEO that um, is also like in it for the money and is really interested in, in how to um, um, not just um, uh, maximize profit, but maybe even also have a, a more power and control in the world and really wants their name to be known. And, and these are sort of the driving principles of this company. Um and the engineers creating the technology are coming out of fear and worried they might get fired and um, are also disconnected from each other and are competitive with each other. So there's, there's one scenario. Mm-hmm. Second scenario, and this is kind of, a, I call this the startup ashram, where the programmers are meditating four to six hours a day in a monastic environment, spending a lot of time connecting with each other, opening their hearts. Um, developing a deep sense of compassion for humanity. The project is funded um, from funders that only care about the um, benefit and support of of the human experience and what's what's absolutely best for the welfare of human beings. Um, What you're going to get, the AI you're going to get coming out of those two projects, I believe is going to be dramatically different. And the fears around AI are very real. And I do believe that the AI coming out of the first um, scenario, if it becomes powerful enough, because it would actually in its DNA be an expression of fear and separation and greed, um, would would um, be expressing that in the world in a potentially dangerous way. Um, at the flip side, I do believe it's possible to create a profoundly loving and compassionate AI that does have the best interest for humanity in, in mind. Um, and that's true for political systems, educational systems, economic systems—you name it. Um, and so, the only way that I know how to change the world um, is um, is to include the inside-out approach.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> Beautiful man. That's
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> that example that you gave is, is literally like. Where where I'm at right now in terms of the work that I'm doing, mm. and then it really it, it's it's so interesting the way that you described in this startup ashram environment, um, the 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 very roots of the energy that flows through that organism right from the dollar that comes in to yeah. pay for that coder's ramen. Um, it's and, and right now we've we're, we're in a system where it's pretty much. Dominated by VCs who do want their 10x return, um, so it seems like we're, we're 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 yeah we're talking about the need to actually fundamentally disrupt a, a whole system um, for that reality to emerge. So so let, let's talk about AI, um, seeing as you brought it up. Um, well, so I, I guess you just laid out your your, your macro philosophy on AI. It's it, it can be um, fueled by separation and fear or love, compassion, and trust. Um, it, does, that, does that accurately describe your, your, your meta kind of view on AI? Is, is there anything else you'd like to expand on in terms of AI? Should I, if I'm a person who's terrified by the prospect of cyborgs going nuts, like what, what can you tell me?
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> and then uh, um, I, I would say yes and, and just expand what your fear really should be is is a fear of um, the creators
0: mm.
1: of of the AI? I should say the intention behind the creation of the of the AI. Yeah, um, and and where that intention comes from, um, and intention just doesn't mean oh, I want to do good in the world. Um, it's not. A, a, I don't mean intention superficially. Um, intention is actually something that um, goes right down to the very, very, very core of our, um, like the very roots of our experience. And to even know what our intentions are Mm. takes a huge amount of self-awareness and reflection, and it's a lifelong process. You could spend 10,000 hours of meditation, spend years meditating in a cave, and ultimately from one perspective, what you're getting down to are the very roots, the very core of where action arises, right? Where, what are you based in? What are you grounded in? So I don't mean intention lightly. I mean, to say that if you're creating a tool, that's powerful enough to destroy humanity. You have a responsibility as an individual and as an organization, a profound responsibility to be continually clarifying and deepening your individual and collective experience and, and consciousness. And it doesn't even need to be woo woo or spiritual. I just mean like dealing with your mommy and daddy issues and, and cleaning up your shadow and, and realizing when you're coming from a place of fear versus when you're coming from a genuine authentic place of um, care and support and compassion. And if you can't even distinguish between those things, uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with you, but like you're human. Um, um, but it's important for us to know that there's going to be a relationship between that inability to distinguish um, and what gets created out in the world. And yeah, and I, and I, and I want to second that just to say this isn't like, I don't want this to sound like some sort of um, guilt trip or shaming, like, oh, all you unevolved people, you can't create technology, not at all. I think of it, I call it the path of the transformative technologist. And it just means that whatever you're doing, whether you're an entrepreneur or an engineer, whatever it is, you embrace the process of creation as a personal development or spiritual path. And you recognize that the two are indistinguishable from each other, and it's a lifelong process.
0: So what, do you, what advice would you give to an engineer who is working on AI and machine learning um, and let's just say I am working at that startup number one that you just talked about. And I really do want to climb that ladder and one day become a VP and tell my, tell my mom and dad so that they can be proud and, um, and happy that they put me through this expensive education route. And um, I can feel better about myself and the company can make more money and I can cash out and maybe start my own startup. Like what, what advice can you, can can you give me because I'm feeling fundamentally, um, unfulfilled but this is just the path that i'm on and everyone surrounding me seems to be on this path as well um what what can i do
1: <laughs> <laughs> well at first you're not alone <laughs> <laughs> you're you're far from alone and uh and i uh, i know that feeling all too well you're describing um me um in some ways still now you know it's not it's not uh, like some magical thing you 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 know you're cured from um but definitely describing me very strongly in the past and um and i guess a lot of it comes down to like what what do you really want what do you really 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 want in your life at the deepest level and and really working to become clear about that if you if you think you want money why what is the money getting you right if you think you want um uh um, a certain kind of of setup in life or a, a certain you know sort of um recognition what is that recognition getting you hmm. right and just keep tracing it down and tracing it down and tracing it down hmm. um and and you might arrive at some different places you might realize that some of your wants are rooted in fear right so you might want um a certain kind of recognition because um you believe that, um, that's the way you're ultimately going to be loved. And, and so there's the fear that, that you won't be loved and you'll be alone if you don't get this recognition, you know? So you, it might be, it might be, there's a fear there. Um, but, um, you might also frame it in a different way. You might say, actually, what I, what I really care about is, is feeling love. is feeling connected, you know, or, um, um, and maybe from that place, you might discover other, other passions. Um, like, for example, I, um, I enjoy um, bringing people together and gathering them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And what I've found is that um, I do that for lots of different reasons. Um, I do that, I, I've discovered through my own, mm-hmm. like, digging.
0: Um,
1: I do that because um, it's, a, um, it's an easy way for this is kind of, kind of, yeah, giving us some vulnerable insight, insight Mikey info. It's an easy way for me to, um, have people like me yes, without having to like be that all that vulnerable or, or connected to them. I get to kind of do it from a stage and be the one that's putting everything together. And I don't have to really face the discomfort of like, uh, you know, like interacting with all these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that comes from, you know, me sort of fulfilling some, some insecurities. But also, um, I also bring people together because I get a genuine joy out of creating these meaningful connections. Um, I don't know where it comes from, but it, re- it really is rooted in my heart in a way. It's, it's a real, like, deep, genuine um, satisfaction at, at seeing other human beings love each other and connect with each other and create things in the world um, and to be able to be a catalyst in that. And so you have both, you know, you get both sides. And the more that I can be rooted in where I'm doing this from a place of love and care for humanity, then the more I know that that's really what I want. And then I can more honestly design my reality around that.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. And it's because there's a risk of, of guilting ourselves around that extrinsic kind of like validation that we get around, around doing something like, like I've, I've, I've witnessed that like clients of mine who are who do the digging and then they realize that, that what they're building, that, that what they what they really want is the pat on the back from people around them that they're building a great product, for example, and they get recognition which which is which is okay fundamentally which like what's wrong with that like we're we're social creatures we and we've all got we've all got our own shit, but what you're talking about there is like perceiving that within like a, a broader spectrum where that is happening, but there's also the thing coming from the heart there is so it's almost like well, how how do you perceive your relationship with your with, with your ego um or, or let's let's get a little deeper there like what what do you see the function of uh the, the ego <laughs>
1: um yeah well there's different ways of kind of like um uh what, like like different size nets <laughs> <There are. laughs> that you could cast you know and then catch you know around the the ego sort of sort of thing um but um from from one perspective um the more superficial perspective you could say that the, 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 the ego is that which we, um, uh, identify with in a limited sense. It's the, um, it's the thing that we call me that we perfe- perceive as being separate from everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I, I I'm going to say this. I don't think I've ever said this before. Um, but, um, the function of the ego in that sense seems to be one of, um, defense protection. Mm -hmm. And, um, I believe that the ego in in that sense begins developing when we're young, um, as a way to cope with, um, what can be sort of difficult, um, life circumstances. And so, um, for example, if you have a parent, Mm -hmm. Um, that only loves you when you perform well, then you may develop a core belief structure that says how I perform in life um, or performance in life is the way to be loved. And if I don't perform well, I won't be loved. And if I perform well, I will be loved. And that becomes a core building block of your sort of ego. Um, And you know, even more fundamental, just the, um, you know, the idea of being a thing of being a a person, um, when you grow up in a world where you're told and that con concept is forced on you, um, and everyone around you believes that, um, then it becomes, you know, important to also believe that just to, just to be able to like make sense of the people around you and what's going on and what's happening in reality. Um, and so, um, so I think that, the, that, ego structure, it's, it's like the way we kind of cope mm. with, um, with reality. And then the, um, the process of what you might call like awakening for me is the process of, um, is the process of realizing that those um, coping mechanisms, those belief structures or whatever, those defense patterns um, had a very clear usefulness at a time, probably when we were young. um, But, um, but that actually it's, it's safe now to realize that what we are is something um, more fundamental, something that is encompassing of, those, that sense of identity, that limited sense of identity or those coping patterns. Mm. Um, and, um, and then, but beyond that, you know, kind of taking a little bit of a bigger view, um, I think that there is sort of this unique thing that we are, right? We have our own unique needs, our own flavor, our own look and taste and smell and touch and all of this stuff, our own special footprint, You know in in reality and in a a really kind of broad sense you could call this ego or personality or kind of this unique identity and that's a that's a beautiful thing like that's that's our fingerprint um and um in that sense that's kind of like what what it means to be dancing with life is being that thing
0: Mm. thank you for uh the originality of your response there that was really interesting um
1: i never said that before <laughs> yeah, i know i know, I could sense it
0: and it's refreshing <laughs> uh, yeah i i really appreciate that um just quickly how, how do you perceive you know and, and this potentially could be pop like i would love to dive into so many areas but i know that time is short but how do you uh, create how do you personally interface with technology um Let's take social media for example, because it's getting a lot of. We, we all understand our dopamine release system, and we all understand um, what's kind of happening, and we all feel the, the, what we feel when we're on some of these platforms. How, how do you personally navigate this th- this landscape of social media?
1: The same way I navigate, like junk food in the supermarket. You know, I I, I kind of um, actually sorry it's actually not um it's not that bad i would say the way i navigate sort of the internet is the way i navigate the supermarket mm-hmm. and in that broader sense i know that there are um parts of it that are um useful and and healthy mm-hmm. in certain ways um if if used in moderation and used in the right way and there are parts which are just there to grab my attention um to pull me in so that that whoever's creating that thing can profit, and in the supermarket, it's a, a, a grab for your taste buds, right? I mean, there's there is no redeeming quality for a lot of processed foods, like none. <laughs> um, it's really just a, um, a food industry that is completely um, centered on on profit. And I don't think it's some evil conspiracy theory. It's just that's just the structure of the system. And um, now we have an attention economy where we have a lot of apps and games that aren't again, designed to be nourishing or healthy. Um, they're designed just to grab your attention and hold your attention because attention is power and attention can be profit because if you have uh, someone's attention, then you can control them. You could advertise to them. You could do a bunch of stuff. Um, and so, um, the the thing I want to be clear about, and we, you know, in all this, I've had my sort of philosophical ramblings. People are probably wondering, like, so what about like the tech stuff? Like, <laughs> um, I just want to be clear and say, um, for the most part, the technology I'm imagining doesn't really exist. Um, it's it's uh, we see whispers of it. We see it's sort of the tip of the iceberg, but the technology that I'm thinking of, we haven't yet even scratch the surface of it in, in humanity. Um, and, um, and so, um, when I talk about transformative technologies, um, I say that knowing that a lot of our, um, interaction and relationship with technology right now is, is very dissonant and very adversarial. Technology is something that we have to cope with, Mm. not something that we, um, that nourishes us and deeply mm. supports us. Technology is not um, and when I say technology, I'm 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 really talking about um, our apps and games and phones and, and sort of the social media and and um content and and um interfaces that we're um mostly using. Mm. Right? I don't mean like a you know fa- robot factory robot or something like
0: yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Um so um my i guess to to um to kind of summarize my interest yes and kind of what you know to kind of maybe tie in the whole technology piece um please uh, i truly believe that technology can be anything we want it to be we um what we uh, call technology is just, um, I don't think I've ever said this before either. Let's see how it sounds. What we call technology is actually just the aspects of human expression that are grounded in a scientific worldview. Aspects
0: of human expression that are grounded in a scientific worldview. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah. Yep. Like the stuff we build based on science. Mm-hmm. For the most part, is, is what we call technology. Yeah, um, and um, and so if we if we kind of blur our our eyes a little, mm-hmm. it's just part of the overarching space of, of human expression, right? Stuff that we create, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that space of human expression is infinite. It's unlimited. It's only limited by our own imagination, our own ingenuity. Right. Mm. Um, And, um, and so then it's kind of this sense of like, well, what, what do we want to build? Right. What is the greatest role for technology on the planet that we can imagine? And, you know, I have my own answer, obviously I'm, I'm biased. And, and so I gave that quote earlier right? If, if, if wars begin in the minds of men, it's in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be constructed. So how do we change the mind of humanity?
0: Hmm.
1: What are the most efficient, skillful means that we can imagine to reconnect us with ourselves and each other in a deep way. And for me, I can't imagine a more potent, powerful way of doing that than leveraging science and technology. I agree with you, but it
0: still feels slightly paradoxical.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I, but I'm willing to smash that paradox. Um, in fact, I want to smash that paradox, and I don't know even know why it exists. But I think it's because it feels like what the my self awareness practice is so rooted in in non technology kind of things. It's like yeah. you know when when you look at the purity of a of a mindfulness meditation practice, um, there's just no need for tech it's almost like when I think about tech right now or the the tech that currently is available let's just talk about um, Muse for example or maybe a breath sensor all these things I can see the functionality of but it's also at the same time creating a layer um, that doesn't actually need to be there for me to have um,
1: deep deep
0: peace So, so can you just help me quickly smash this paradox that I'm feeling
1: yeah totally um, and I get it, I get it because a lot of that stuff feels very cumbersome and very separate and very, you know, clunky and, and obtrusive. And from my view, that's a, um, that's a design limitation. Mm. It's a design flaw. Um, when you go and you want to learn how to meditate and you sit down with a meditation teacher or you read a book or whatever it is, and you're given a set of instructions, even if they're simple instructions. And the instructions are, let's say, um, focus on the sensation of the breath on the end of your, you know, inside of your nostrils. And um, if your mind um, wanders gently and lovingly, um, bring your attention back to the focus of your attention, uh, you know, the sensation on your nostrils, something like that. That description... That set of words is a very advanced technology. That set of words didn't just pop out of nowhere, Mm. that was the result of thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human evolution and ingenuity and self-awareness and self-reflection and the development of language and conceptual constructs and tools and writing and books and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you're talking about a very advanced and potent technology. And then um, the technology is transmitted to you and held in your memory and in order for you to meditate, you have to sort of re-access that technology. And it doesn't feel very cumbersome because we're pretty used to using our memory and that kind of stuff. But if you forgot the instructions and you were a sort of a novice meditator, you wouldn't know to—you would know what to do anymore. You'd have to go back to the teacher and say, oh, wait, I forgot what the instructions are. Can you kind of re-upload it, <laughs> re-upload the technology into my brain so I can re-access it using my memory? Mm. And it's a, it's something that we, um, we take for granted. Mm. Right. And, um, and so then you could say, okay, well, if you've got, um, one teacher, you go to uh, like a bunch of students, all go to one teacher and, um, they have really good results, meaning that the students really consistently, um, deepen in their experience. And then, you, and then a whole bunch of students go to another teacher, um, And, um, and that teacher kind of sucks. Students like don't really get it. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. Um, so first we can, we have the idea that one teacher could be more skillful than another. Right. That seems like a pretty, pretty clear concept. It's not all equal. Right. Um, and, um, and so we have this notion of, of, sort of skillful means, Hmm. Right? Maybe one teacher speaks more clearly, or has a deeper insight, along with they were just born in it with a better like kind of linguistic kind of understanding and a better capacity for teaching. You know, maybe the other teachers didn't even want to be teaching. You know, now let's imagine that that crappy teacher, right? Let's actually say that they're and they're just learning how to do it, right? Maybe they go and they watch the really good teacher. Or maybe they ask their students after every class, like, hey, well, what worked for you or what didn't work for you? And by observing and listening, that teacher could actually get better at teaching. That teacher might say different words, might even um, change the environment that they were teaching in, might change the room, the lighting. They might speak differently in a different tone. They might sit differently in a chair. Maybe they find that sitting in this way actually has a different kind of effect on the students. Mm -hmm. They might wear different clothing, right? There's all of these things that they could do to be more skillful in how they um, support a deeper experience in the students. And so then the question is, how skillful can you get, Mm -hmm. right? At what point is it become... Uh, something different something unnatural when um you go and you'll say you build an incredible temple that that takes 10 years to build with the most power like like brilliant architects and they're building this temple for one purpose i mean this is what every church has been built with for for you know for thousands of years to inspire a sense of awe and and a, a sense of a connection to something beyond the self right mm mm-hmm. mhm well, that church or that temple is not very portable. <laughs> it's a pretty cumbersome technology, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot more cumbersome than a headband, mm-hmm. right? But it's serving that purpose. Mm-hmm. And so what I would propose is that is that everything we create as human beings, from language to architecture to digital headbands, can all be things that we used to serve the purpose of deepening the human experience and elevating consciousness. Um, Then question comes is how skillful is that thing? You could design it with that intention, but it could still suck. Right. And a lot of the stuff that exists still kind of sucks. And so um, what happens when we can actually begin to create modern technology that begins to be as skillful, as a lot of these ancient practices. And I don't think it's there yet. I think it's there for very novice meditators when you're learning how to meditate, but for an advanced practice, um, technology becomes a limitation.
0: Mm. That's, that's super interesting, man. I appreciate that. That, um, transmission that's, that's really, really, really interesting. Um, so, so therefore, like the beautiful challenge that, that awaits engineers and technologists and people working in machine learning and AI and VR, what a beautiful uh, future if, if they choose to embrace it um, to, to, to sort of take on what you what you just described and um, perceive all of these technologies as unbelievably leverageable, portable um, channels for skillful, teaching self advancement anything can be put through these things is what you're saying um yeah
1: it's it's all just um tools for transmitting wisdom and insight yeah and and then just that's it and then it's just um how good of a job does it do period can it, if it does a good job it doesn't matter what form it takes if it's digital or a drawing or a painting or a song, it doesn't matter. Just if it does the job.
0: That's Can you it. Share quickly what you're working on. Like some of the stuff that particularly is exciting you at, at the moment. What realm it's in?
1: <clears throat> yeah, um, the project that I'm most excited about is called. Uh, is the main tech that I'm working on is called the Group Flow project, and it's um, a technology around um, human connection. And we can take up to 24 people at a time, and we can measure their heart uh, and their breath. We can also measure our electrodermal response, which is like skin conductivity, yeah. emotional arousal. Um, we can also measure the brain, yeah. um, although we haven't explored that as much. Um, and we can create totally dynamic, immersive um, experiences based on light and sound and music based on the individual and collective biosignals of the group. Um, And so, for example, we can do stuff like um, using sort of light-based feedback and sound-based feedback, allow the group to sort of emergently find its natural breath Mm. resonant frequency. You know, each group will sort of have a kind of a middle zone, a kind of a natural breath rate that it wants to breathe at. And this system allows the group to find that and then breathe together as a group. Um, to give you a, um, another example, um, so we can—it's it's always interesting describing this because we can—we um, can—we've we, tried about thirty or forty different practices using this technology. We're actually running a whole three-day meditation retreat using the tech at Esselin in uh, November. Uh, sorry, sorry, that was the last <laughs> retreat um, in July. In July. Um, this will be our second uh, Esalen retreat. And, um, and so like another sort of thing we might do is um, is we might um, have everyone put headphones on. And through the headphones, they're being guided. Uh, we have always have a facilitator, uh, mm-hmm. an actual guide who's part of the group. And they're being guided to connect with their own heart. Mm-hmm. And they're being taken through kind of a tantric uh, breath a heart-based meditation, feeling their own heart, and um, as they're connecting to their own heart, slowly the sound of their own heartbeat begins to fade through, fade in through the headphones. And for many people, this is the first time they've ever heard their heart, and this can be this can be pretty powerful. Um, and then, um, as they're hearing their heart, they're instructed to to bend down, and 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 on the floor in front of them is a small light glass light that's actually pulsing with their own heartbeat. And they're, they're instructed to treat that as if it's their own heart to really hold it with a sacredness and a gentleness. This is a very kind of almost ceremonial kind of process. And then slowly they turn to their neighbor without making eye contact yet. And, um, and the facilitator counts down three, two, one. And when he gets to one, Um, the two people trade hearts where now they're holding each other's heart in their hand. And at the same time, the sound crossfades. And so each person is hearing the other person's heart. And so now they're holding each other's heart and hearing each other's heart. And as they settle into that for a few more minutes and it's still being guided through this, this process, then they look up and they're making eye contact and people describe this as a deeply humanizing experience where you really, recognize wow you you you're, you have a heart like yeah. i have a heart you know our hearts are beating together yeah. and then you know we might do different stuff like actually have both heartbeats playing at the same time so you can hear both heartbeats and um you know we go around the circle where um we do go one person at a time where that person's heart is, is, comes in through the whole sort of PA system and subwoofer in the room. So the whole room is, is sort of pulsating with that person's heart. And then the whole room mm-hmm. practices a loving kindness meditation towards that person. And you go person by person in the group hearing their heart and practicing loving kindness. And so we have dozens of different practices like this that are designed to sort of use technology to, you know, to, to connect us in different ways.
0: Man, that sounds super interesting. Um, this group flow, collective flow is, is kind of where I'm playing at as well from a, from a less tech angle. So it'd be super interesting to talk more about this. Um, you talked about lighting and um, other kind of sensory inputs as well coming, coming into the equation, which to me just makes perfect sense. But when I go into a monastery or a temple, I'm struck by you know the, the The whole sensory bath that I walk into from the smell of the incense to the the sound of the the gongs, um, the colors of the robes the everything creates that particular ambiance which serves to put me into a certain state, um, which correlates so which contrasts so starkly from the modern office where we expect and hope that these people. Produce wonderful things and somehow become happy when they're in these sterile, kind of like cubicle kind of places with artificial light, artificial air. Um, like, how on earth can we achieve our highest states of individual flow, let alone drop into collective states, resonance, coherence, uh, without taking into account all these things like the internal things like breath and heart rate variability and feelings of well being and the external stuff? So, it's great to hear that you're playing and joining all those dots man that's a really cool project can we is there a link that we can find more about that project
1: you know we're, it- we're still in 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 um i mean we're we're we're, we're using it um actually we are looking for a uh, paid gigs <laughs> i will say that we've brought it to a few festivals and conferences with really great success yeah. um and so i'll, I'll do a little marketing uh yeah. take a marketing moment um yeah. uh, but um the only place online right now that we have the project is uh there's a google group and it's group flow one word group flow and project and if you search that on facebook you should find the group
0: cool um yeah man let's let's talk, let's talk offline like i've got clients that we could go and um do this thing with leadership teams and and things like that um yeah this is This is awesome stuff, man. Um, More broadly speaking, how can someone who's listening to this uh, join your consciousness hacking movement?
1: Yeah, go to cohack.life and uh, check out if there's a community in your area, in your city. Yeah. Um, And... If there is one, but they haven't had a meetup in a little while, then feel free to send them a message on meetup.com to <laughs> yeah. get them into gear so sometimes they get sleepy. Um, and if you want to start one, um, we welcome people to start them and just reach out to um, uh, me or um, Kim, Kim at kohack.life.
0: Cool. Maybe I'll start one for this part of Australia that I'm in. I'm pretty uh, sure there won't be one.
1: That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, I'd love to do that. Hey, Mikey, it's been such a joy, such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed tuning in with you, man. And I really appreciate the, the depth of your responses. And um, yeah, I really honor you for the work that you're doing. Um, yeah, man, I just feel awesome vibes from you. Uh, and I look forward, no doubt, to, to meeting up one day. I'd love to, I'd love to take this deeper and, and uh, yeah, ex- explore potential collaborations and things like that. So, Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for your, your questions. You're, you're bringing out, bringing it out of me. So appreciate your curiosity and excitement. And, and I can see we, as I said before, we we clearly drank the same Kool-Aid. So (laughs) I, I enjoyed, uh, drinking it together.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the flow state performance podcast as much as I did. I really enjoyed, uh, interviewing Mikey. We didn't get onto technology until the last 10 minutes because we we're having so much fun diving into philosophical rabbit holes around spirituality, synchronicity, the knowing mind, what is intuition, all these things that are so fascinating. And, and if you're an explorer of your potential, you want to know what you're capable of. These are really domains that um, yield extremely fruitful discoveries. Um, honing your intuition, training your intuition, learning how to harmonize with natural rhythms, natural cycles. The convergence, uh, the the sort of mainstreamizing or the legitimizing or the added layers of rationality and science onto what previously was the domain of mystics um, and spiritual people, that, that land right there, that land of recently validated, provable, quantifiable, Uh, stuff that previously was not quantifiable. That is a very, very fertile area to explore, and Mikey is deep in it. I really love how he brought it home so powerfully with that quote, since wars begin in the minds of men, it is in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be constructed. And this is so powerful when you consider the role that technology is beginning to play in the minds of men. On one end of the spectrum, we've got social media companies that, who are uh, really leveraging our dopamine release systems and our reward systems to capture our attention for certain financial outcomes. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got the, the prospect of technology being leveraged in a conscious way, in a compassionate way, in a wise way to help minds of men uh, create the defences of peace, to create a more beautiful future, to create the future our hearts know is possible. And that was my hugest, uh, most powerful takeaway from this conversation with Mikey. Technology really can become an exponential uh, propagator of higher consciousness. And um, I hope that you have left with a similar kind of feeling as well. If you have, or if you haven't, uh, let me know. I'm happy to dialogue on these things. You can either join the Flow Tribe Facebook page, Uh, Just search for Flow Tribe um, on Facebook, drop me an email at jiro at flowstate.co if you've got any thoughts, any feedback, uh, anybody that you would like me to interview. Uh, Please share this episode with friends who you know are interested in technology and consciousness and uh, please jump onto the website flowstate.co to explore whether we have something that might help you out, whether it's on an individual transformation level or whether it's on a company transformation level. If you, want, if you work at a company or you run a company and you sense the possibility for there to be more flow in that company, then get in touch. This is the work that we are doing. I'm wishing you a most beautiful, flowing, fulfilling week and I'll tune in with you next time. Bye-bye.